This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift. Find your fun with the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Kreiso. That's a bit of Welsh for you. Right, G, should we start the pod in the usual fashion? Um, maybe not with a chat about sex parties and Thermomix this time, but with a shoulder update. What have you achieved this week? Uh, yeah, so oh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I had my first ride back on Zwift on our GTCC club ride. Long, boring story. I won't go into it, but I basically end up in the kitchen. I happened to actually use the Thermomix that night. So, and I took video oh. evidence on Instagram stories, if you follow me on that. I'm sure you do, Tom. And, oh, mate, uh, one other thing. I forgot the tumble dryer was on. And, man, I was suffering like a, well, I was suffering a lot. <laughs> I think um, I was sweating. Like, there was a pool of sweat under me after 10 minutes. I didn't have a fan or anything like that. A little excuse I have is the kitchen's quite far away from our internet box. So, I'm sure there was every split second I was, like, losing connection a bit. So at one stage I was at the front, then I was in the middle, then I was at the back of the group, then I was out the back, and I'm pushing on and get back on. Yeah, and then there was chat on the group. <laughs> They're like, oh, let's get rid of G on this climb. What? <laughs> yeah, so one of the guys said that. I was like, oh, you bastard. I was like, well, I can't let him drop me now, but I was already like 10 metres off the back. It's hard to close a gap, isn't it? Especially with my uh, yeah, it is. second disconnect of power whatever you want to call it. But, oh man. The old, the old power disconnect trick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to be fair though, I was slightly cheating in that I haven't adjusted my weight on Zwift. So <laughs> I think it's still on 69 kilos. Just probably put that up a bit. But yeah, so it was enjoyable. It was great to be back on the club rides. Um, it was great to have a good sweat as well because I haven't exercised at that point for a long time. So that was nice. But whew, I was suffering by the end. I was like, I definitely after a shower I did have a nice actually I think I only had a yogurt because I'm trying to lose a bit of weight now but yeah <laughs> it was nice to be back though you missed it though Tom again I did miss it but I'm going to be doing every single one until Christmas that's my solemn pledge to you and um, if I get the chance to drop you on a climb I'm definitely going to have a crack <laughs> but I won't succeed yeah, the boys here were doing the same actually Danny Van Poppel who's a, a big sort of uh, Belgian sprint uh, Dutch sorry oof going to get killed now but he's a Dutch sprinter here and he was uh, Wout said to him I was out on the bike with him the other day he's like oh, now's your time to really make G suffer on a climb if you want <laughs> but luckily he was kind so oh, well that's the way we are on the GTCC um, that's probably enough cycling chat for now I think our members often prefer our random chat about household gadgets and our nights out so on that topic anything for us on that this week I have got a random story actually um, have you yeah, so I'm not very home in Cardiff very often, am I? So no. I'd say what, two months, two and a half months a year. So it's rare. Anyway, George comes over, who was a previous guest on our pod. So I go down to the end of the house, get a couple of beers, you know, just have a little drink with him, catch up, walking back up. And we have like um, a little, not a balcony, what are they called now? So our staircase, it kind of, goes round and back on itself so when you're at the top you can look down and see ground level um like a landing yeah yeah a landing where you can yeah throw things down to guys on the ground floor <laughs> anyway 
we have this little chandelier. Well, it's quite big actually, but it's not a traditional sort of um, glass one. It's like one of these modern sort of twisty. I sound so old now, don't I? It's one of those modern <laughs> ones. But anyway, it's a chandelier. And I hear this creak and I look up and it starts, it literally does just fall. What? And I was like, Wah! and like I step back and it just lands at my feet. Like it's no more than a meter away from me. I was like, holy, could you imagine? That would be some way to end 2021, wouldn't it? It'd be quite... Killed by your own chandelier. Yeah, it'd be quite appropriate, really, wouldn't it? The way this year's gone. But yeah, I was like, oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, so I was lucky there. But I was thinking like, the, of all the times that it could fall down. But there we go. That's, that's my story. Has a chandelier ever f- nearly fall on your head? The only chandelier falling that I've heard about before today was the famous one in Only Fools and Horses. I knew you were going to Which say makes that, me yeah. wonder, <laughs> makes me wonder whether yours, what, did it accidentally fall when you were there? Or was there someone up in the roof space with a spanner? Oh yeah, true. Yeah. The, the, the electrician that put it up did come around a few days later and was sending pictures of this thing that had snapped. And he's like, oh, you got to tell the manufacturer, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think maybe someone's just out to get me, aren't they? Well, I'm glad that you haven't died in a chandelier accident because... <laughs> even by your standards of uh, doing the C word that we don't use on this podcast that would be a ludicrous way to go <laughs> it would and happy to still be here chatting to you again tremendous should we get a guest on let's do it Tom good news the sponsors are back for season two that is momentous G and momentous just so happens to be the sponsors of this next bit but who are they <laughs> Well, for all you listeners that were listening last season, you'll remember them as Amp Human. Aha, yeah, a leading human performance company that works with over 150 pro and elite sporting teams. And once again, we've got an exclusive discount for you. Gee, what's the lowdown? Well, I use uh, PR lotion all the time. You basically rub it directly in your muscles, you get bicarb directly into them and, you know, allows me to maximise training sessions and improves recovery time. Yeah, if you try it, the clinical data says you'll get 53% less muscle soreness and be able to do 25% more training intervals. I like those odds, G. So if you fancy slapping it all over your legs before your next big ride or workout, go to livemomentous.com. So that first bit, all one word, L-I-V-E, then M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S. .com. And because you listen to this podcast, we've got you an exclusive discount. Just use the code GTCC2021 at the checkout for 25% off Momentous's PR Lotion. Happy training. Hello, I'm Katie Puckrick. Haven't I seen you on Wikipedia? Because I'm there every day. I've got a new podcast called Dot Com, the documentary series about the people of the internet. And it starts with that one site we all use, Wikipedia. Yeah, sure, it's just a little website. Who are these people? But it's not. The faces behind the screen, the brains behind the words. If you'd said to me, it will all be free. This is a hidden world. A place where people can come together and talk about the things that are important to them. And it's fascinating. We've just found a way in the Wiki universe to do that. I mean, how could Wikipedia not be corrupt at this point? Search for .com and subscribe now. How? How? 
So, Tom, our guest today is a proper legend of the sport. He's the first German, I think, that we've had on the pod. He's one of the toughest guys to ever grace the pro peloton, I would say. He loved the breakaway, while well, he loved the solo attack breakaway as well. In fact, anything that made racing, as he would say, probably more fun, as most of us would say, hurt more. Um, he's won two stages of the Tour, another in the Giro, even had the world hour record for a while. And as we just discussed briefly off air before we started recording, he's ridden 17 Tour de France's. So who better to talk to about pain and suffering than someone who used to say, Shut up, Lex. So now, have an educated guest. Who am I? <laughs> Welcome to the pod, Jens Voigt. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm absolutely honored to be part of this. <laughs> well, it's pleasure to have you we were just chatting me and tom before 17 tours and then when you came on you said that adds up to what 350 stages yeah plus or minus uh, yes about 350 which is in other words almost an entire year of my life i spent just doing tour de france stages that is nuts <laughs> oh, yeah oh, or bonkers <laughs> it's legendary or it's totally bonkers <laughs> did you finish them all um, no, um, once I crashed out, um, the bad one in uh, 2009, yeah. um, where I actually, I did look like I just lost my life, um, <laughs> down from the Petit Bernard. I oh, think yeah. I was Sorry, in front I do group remember that, yeah. with uh, Brady Wiggins was still racing. Um, and um, so I crashed out that one and twice with a stomach bug. I had to, to go home. That's pretty good going though. Fair play. So Jens, we had to think about our topic for today's episode and we very naturally found ourselves settling on the topic of pain. I don't think there's any other sport that I can think of that is so obsessed with almost the glory of suffering as cycling, maybe boxing, but most other sports you try and avoid suffering or suffering is a bad thing. It only seems to be cycling where we love talking about it. Well, I believe um, at one moment in life, you got to look at the cards that life has dealt you. It did not help me to look jealously at the cards that Cancellara had or Peter Sagan because I don't have him. So I look at my cards. What do I have on my cards? The desire to win and a fairly big engine. Well, that's about it. I never had the best climber. I never had the best time trial. I was never the best uh, sprinter. So I had to do something with the cards, with my abilities. I tried to make the best out of that. And I found out that my chances increase if I put everybody through the meat grinder, well, including myself, <laughs> including myself, of course. But the, the, the more sticky the race get, the more uh, like nasty and vicious the race went, bad weather, hilly terrain, small shitty roads, the better it was for me. To be fair, you're making out like you didn't win much, but you still have a good Palmares. Like I didn't mention in the intro, actually, but Tour Germany, when that was a huge race back in the day, like it was like Tour Swiss, wasn't it? It was right up there. It was Hard, hilly, Criterium International, you won like seven times. Maybe not seven, but you won quite a lot, no? I think, uh, yeah, you, you you did well with your cards as well, mate. Like, it's, yeah, not bad. Um, I believe I have something like 60 or 65 UCI wins in, in oh, wow. my um, career. So for a non-sprinter, it's, it's not too bad, yes. Um, but back to the pain, you know, I believe... With my breakaways, I lost far more than I won. So let's say if I maybe 
I get a chance one out of ten, right, to win. That is so much better than a zero percent chance when you just sit in a peloton and wait until you get slaughtered from the sprinters or you get killed from the climbers. So better take a little <laughs> chance than having no chance as, at all, right? Just for my own respect for myself. And um, the biggest hockey player of all times, Wayne Gretzky, he once said, I missed 100% of the shots I never took, right? Hmm. So if only one of these 99 shots or 100 shots gets in, that's far better than not even trying. And that, that was my, my approach to it. So when it came to trying, did you... Um like pick and choose days like you know sometimes now you, you can look at stage like oh it's not really for me i won't do it but did you think it's not really for me but stuff it i'm still going to go for this you 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 came across like you did anyway you just went even if it was in a, an alpine stage you'd still attack and still go bury yourself um yeah well see you never know how the plays out right um if the favorites want to have a quiet day they go you know what jens is 30 minutes behind in the gc just let him go you know, if they don't want to battle for the GC, you never know how that all plays out or you got to listen to them and, and try to find out, hey, what type of race are you expecting today or what did you expect? Um, flat stages, the chances are very, very small. That only happens like once every 10 years that you actually outsmart the sprinter teams because it's so many of them and they're so well organized. Often it was just by feeling. You know, often it was just uh, by feeling. And this might sound funny. I believe three, four, five times in my career, I could see the future. I went to the start line and said, okay, like take the stage um, I won in the 12 Colorado. Uh, we start in Aspen, little lap in the city, and then straight up Independence Pass. And I'm in a break, 25. I look at them and go, nah, this is not going to work. There's way too many riders. And then I had this vision. I said, okay, if I attack now and drop them all, I go all by myself. Nobody will put a penny on me. They will not chase me for the first part. When I get over the top of this climb with one minute 30, I got it. And that's what I did. And I had whatever, 140 on top. Um, they did chase for a while, but then I ended up winning a stage with, I believe, six minutes. Um, this one of the moments where after 10 miles, I knew this is going to happen. This will lead to this and this will have a consequence. And this was going to happen because of that. It's funny you say that because I've, I've had similar days where I've been like, it just feels right today. You just feel something in your bones, don't you? It's kind of weird. And then like, for instance, when I won E3 and it was just kind of like, obviously you feel good, but it just seems to be just another level you're on. Like you, you're thinking clearly, you kind of everything that's happening is just easy to respond to. You know, when people say about footballers, oh, he's got more time on the ball. It's like, well, he just knows how to, what to do in the time he's got. It's not, he doesn't have more time than anyone else. He's just able to think boom, boom, boom and, and do what he has to do. And it's a similar thing, I think, when days like that, when you're just floating almost like like no chain or whatever. How I'm sure you've said that a few times. But um yeah, it's just, that's a good feeling in mind. But 99% of the other times, or 99.9, <laughs> you're just, it's just groveling around. That's so true. So you better enjoy these days where you, um, you know, have one of these. I unfortunately, for unfortunately had one of these days in training. I like, I go out and I, as, as I leave my drive, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, this is one of the days given by the Lord to me. And it's a stupid training ride. What a waste. And like you said, I never felt a chain all training long. But 
No flowers. It was just a trading right. <laughs> Bummer. There's a, there's a famous quote, Jens, from the American General Patton, and he says something like, no one ever wins a war by dying for his country. You win a war by making some other poor bastard die for his country. So is it like that a bit when you're suffering on a bike? Like, it's all very well glorying the suffering that you go through, but you win bike races by making some other bastard suffer. Well, see, um, cycling was, for a long time, a good thing for me and almost like a therapy. Um, I was paid to hurt other people. <laughs> Honestly, how much better could it get? I was paid to release my demons, like you say, on the other poor people in the peloton. And so I could just get rid of whatever, anger and frustration and madness. But now I'm retired and I'm a happy chappy. I believe without cycling in my life, there were periods where I probably would have ended up like the main character of Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> so fortunately, we had cycling. And yes, you're right. It's good. It's a good feeling to make the others suffer. You suffer as well, but you go, okay, if I suffer, they got to suffer at least twice as much as I do. So you say you're retired now. Do you still suffer? Do you still want to suffer? Do you still find you miss that pain? Not at all. Really? Not a split second. Um, see, I had a terrible start into my last season, right? And because suddenly in winter I felt, yeah, uh, maybe cut half an hour training off here, another half an hour there, and then you feel it, right? And then I had, uh, as I used to call it, a crisis meeting with me, myself, my head, my legs, and my motivation. We all sit on this table, look at each hmm. other, and then my legs finally go, okay, listen, I give you six more months of these shut up legs bullshit. But after these six months, we're going to fall apart. My motivation joined and said, okay, I can do six more. So after I made that deal with myself, no more suffering. And I try also to stay away from riding in the rain. Yeah, I, can, yeah, I hear you there. <laughs> That's why I moved to France. What has been your, your hardest, your single hardest day on the bike? Gee, you go first because I reckon Jens is going to beat you. <laughs> Well, I think for me, I was thinking about this earlier and it was a flat stage. It was a, a crosswind stage in my first Tour de France. You were there, Jens, 2007. Um, I don't know if you remember, Astana attacked just before the feed and I was at the back, <laughs> heads in his hands, he knows what I'm talking about. And oh my goodness me, like I was suffering just to get around that race anyway, you know. Um, and a flat day was a nice day for me to sort of get through and try to recover and I was a, a track rider predominantly a track rider at the time and I'd never struggled in any race on the flat you know that was my niche you know I could pedal quick I could add some decent sort of top end power never really suffered and this day like I was in I wasn't in the back echelon but I soon was spat out of that one back into the back one and it wasn't because I couldn't ride an echelon that well it was just purely my, my legs would just couldn't go and then I ended up in a group of maybe five of us. I was with Charlie Wigalius. No, no disrespect to Charlie. But I was thinking, I'm here on the flat in the crosswinds with Charlie Wigalius. Like he's a pure <laughs> climber. He's a 60 odd kilo, you know. And oh man, that was by far the worst. And then two times during that stage, I stopped pedaling for a split second. Like I gave up. I was like, oh, I can't. And I was like, shit. Like it was only, it wasn't even half a second, but I was like, I, I can't stop. I can't just quit. And I kept going, managing just hold on to that wheel. And as 
well, if, if people listening don't know, in the tour, you always have to finish within a certain time of the winner. And on a flat day, they're classed as easier days. So the percentage is a lot smaller than in a mountain. So we didn't have that much, you know, we couldn't get dropped by too far from the winner. So, oh, we were full gas all the way to the finish. And yeah, for me, that was by far the hardest day I've ever had on the bike. I would have to say my hardest day was a stage in a tour of California. In the early years, it was still in February. And California is not only southern beaches in LA. It goes quite far north and it's cold there in February. So we had the stage on a Pacific Coast Highway, straight south, 220 kilometers, blockhead wind, rain and four degrees. Oh. And my team, Team CSC, we were a good team back in the days. We were chasing the front group on a flat road in the 39.16. That much headwind. We were swapping uh, off full gas in the 39.16 because we had so much headwind. So when you see the sign, 80 miles to go, you go, oh my God, that's another five hours. So it took us like eight hours, 30, 40, 220 kilometers. Oh. Rain from the first minute to the end. Um, and I couldn't feel my fingertips for another two days at least until two I got days. the senses back. It was just awful. And just recently I heard an interview with Kettle Evans. He picked exactly the same day. He said, <laughs> yeah, that was the most terrible day on the bike. <laughs> to be fair, at least you got to ride the front and you're keeping a bit warm. Imagine yes, just true. sat in those wheels. Wow. But yeah, I feel you there. There's nothing worse than a block headwind, is there, all day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It really is. Hey, actually, saying when you said I'm riding in the front, one of my first teammates was Christopher M. Boardman. Christopher ah. Miles Boardman. Huh. Um, and he said, Jens, with his Liverpool or uh, accent, um, he said, Jens, it's always better to be on the giving end of pain than to be <laughs> on the receiving end of it. And that is so true. That did stick to my mind all through my career. Were you like that in training? Like, would you always be the one to half wheel? Like, no, I actually, in all honesty, I hate half wheelers. Oh, that's good to know. So do I. It's like, show some respect. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and, and sometimes you come across uh, people um, on a road, right? They go, oh, there's Garen Thomas. Oh, there's Jens Vogt. I turn around and have a quick, quick ride. Hmm. And you get half wheeled by somebody you have never seen before. <laughs> and then you can see them breathing harder and harder. And then I go, hey, mate. How long do you think can you keep this up? Because I got three more hours to go. He goes, I can't do this for three hours. What, why do you do it then in the first place? Why did you come to me and say, uh, hey, Mr. Folk, hey, Mr. Thomas, what's the plan for today? Can I join you for a moment? You know? And yeah, then you yeah, don't totally. need to impress me. Right? I give them the and, benefit of the doubt most of the time, though. But someone like Stanard, yep. December camp, oh, that's the worst. Because I always turn up slightly overweight. And, you know, you're just getting the hours in, building your condition. Oh, guys like Stannard or who else? Dylan Van Barley's another one. They just love to just nudge you, you know, keep that wheel on you. You're just like, oh, mate. <laughs> but then you pick your moment. You think, right, okay, you can have today. You can have tomorrow. But one day on this camp, I'm going to absolutely hand it to you, son. And then they never <laughs> well, of do course. it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Learning through pain. That is uh, the most efficient way to learn because these lessons will stick to the mind. Here we are, <laughs> yeah. back to the pain. So on those days, like that, that day you had in California, Jens, or gee, that day you had um, in the tour, what keeps you going? Because like gee, you say, you got to that point where you literally stopped pedaling for what, a fraction of a second. Why did you, why and how did you keep going? 
I, there's just something in you. You just can't quit. You can't give up. You just have to get to the end. And if I had just let that wheel go and just ridden in, like oh, I, I would have felt so bad, like mentally. And I got through it, you know, and you just in cycling for sure. As a junior, you move up to under 23s, under 23 to pros. Just the suffering and the new limits you find just increase all the time. Like you think you've suffered a lot. Then you, you know, you turn pro and you go to bloody, I don't know, pay basking, like holy moly. Now that that's suffering when you're not a climber. And um, yeah, I think just part of you has to be slightly sadistic. You have to like enjoy that pain or at least hurting yourself that much that you managed to do it and then the satisfaction of being able of actually accomplishing what you set out to do so um yeah for me it's just it was the biggest bike race in the world it was my first time there I didn't have to I didn't have to finish I was supposed to sort of do a week and then sort of see how I go and this was stage 11 or something and but yeah you just I don't know it's just something in you I think you just never give up as most pro athletes have you know you always have that determination to to dig in and just but then there are a few yens included who just have that extra over everyone else as well well i also think i mean uh, garant you must have retired once or twice in a race like i did and you know maybe you crashed or you got dropped and you feel desperate and you hate it you step off the bike and honestly for one second you feel better and relieved oh my god no more pain And then you go, what have I done? Such a failure. I let the boys down. I let the teams down. You know, how, how are you supposed to my, explain that to my dad, you know, to the people on TV? You feel like such a failure. You know, the, the relief from the pain lasts for really a few seconds. But the, the terrible feeling after that for me lasted for weeks. So I said, nah, if, if it's not absolutely necessary I do not want to go through this. Of course, there are sometimes cases where you have to bite the bullet and go, survive today to fight another battle tomorrow. And you go, okay, look, I'm dropped. I've done my job. Tomorrow is another one-day race, so I save my energy today. But generally speaking, it's a bad feeling of failure for me to, um, to abandon. And you feel like you let the boys down. And that's more, even more terrible. 100%, yeah. Well, here's something, there's a bit of a cliche in sport yens you get where people say, if you come from a really tough background, this is across all sports, if you come from a really tough background, sometimes you've got greater motivation because you might be trying to escape poverty or go to a better place. But that doesn't seem to work as much in cycling today, maybe, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But, you know, Geraint, you came from a comfortable background. Jens, I know it's the old East Germany, but you came from a good family. Yeah, I think... It's just your character, how you're brought up. And I think, yeah, it, you, just because someone, you know, in the UK, like someone like, for instance, rugby players, you know, generally their private school in England anyway, um, they still put their bodies on the line, don't they? They still give 100%. So yeah, it's 100% your character. Obviously there's more, well, there's a different motivation for Colombians, for instance. They still, you know, they can change their life by being good on a bike and then suddenly earn a lot of money in Europe, send it home. And there's a lot of that that you see still. So, but um, I think it's just how you, how you're brought up, like, you know, nature, nurture, hundred percent. I believe this, like, you know, how your parents are, the people you're, you're around with as a kid. And that just, you just take them with you 
through life, I feel. That's why I feel a lot of pressure now with, with a young kid. Jens has six, so I'm sure I can get some tips from him. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's what's inside you really that, that matters. I would probably have to disagree a little bit here. Because um, if I look at the pro peloton, there is a lot of riders from the East, like Russia, former Russian republics, because I believe they are more hungry. They see their parents with a broken back at the age of 45 working at that stupid farm for like a thousand dollars per year. And they go, look, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get away from this stupid farm in this godforsaken village in the middle of nowhere. My parents have a broken back at the age of 45, you know, waking up every day at 5.30 to milk the cows or whatever. So I believe that is a big part of their motivation, why they are hungry, aggressive. They need to make it. And they have no backup plan. They go, if I don't make it, I, I cannot fall back on my parents because they, they have nothing they can give to me. So I believe they, they, they might be a little more or almost desperate to make it. Um, and I believe in, in my case, you know, um, I qualified for the sports school system. We had to, to go through through a series of tests, three times the same testing series in February and April and then in June again. And from 150 kids they started, they kept 12 to go to that sports school. And then you move away from your parents, about 300 kilometers, 200 miles, and you live at the dorms, right? And basically the second day, the older kids come and go, hey, you little kid from the countryside, go and wash my bike. And then you had two options. You want to have an easy day and you go and wash that bike? The second you said no, you had to raise your hands to protect your face because you would receive a proper beating from the older boys. So you could only try to cause as much trouble as you can so they would let you go, try to sell your skin as expensive as possible or just give in and wash their bikes. And we had about two months of that. Um, and we lost kids, like we lost three or four or five kids, you know, from start of school in September until Christmas, we lost four or five boys. Um, so... According to my wife, my character still suffers from that. So I think that made me harder, you know, because I know how hard I had to work to get there and I didn't want to uh, waste my chances. I was going to say, yeah, is that, do you, that's a big part of, um, well, who you are then, like why you were so aggressive racing, not aggressive in a punching people, but just like hurting yourself and that just digging deeper and deeper every day. A big part of that is how you your childhood then. Yeah, I believe. I mean, I come from a really nice, stable, close family. You know, I'm still super close with my parents, my brother and my sister. Um, but yeah, living at the dorms at the age of um, 13, you know, living, um, living your parents for the first time really. And then only like having the right to go home for the weekend once a month. It was hard, you know, and... Um, well, my family also is, it's old school, right? So you come home on Friday, you'll be happy to be back home with mom and dad and, you know, brother and sister. And then a Sunday afternoon, you had to go back to the train station to take the train back. And then you'll be standing there and you can see dad looking at you going, no, no, boys don't cry. Mom is doing the crying for her and for me because <laughs> I couldn't cry because dad said, no, boys don't cry. Toughen up. And... Yeah, definitely um, it made me sometimes 
harder with myself, with my opponents, but now I am such a super softy with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> they can do whatever they want with me. I have no chance at all. Yeah, I think it comes back to that. You need to enjoy it. You need to really have a passion for it. And then I think you can, like as, as Jens was saying, a totally, well, I don't fully understand because I've never been in that position, but you know, Eastern Europe and having to do something to change the lives of your whole family, let alone yourself, is just nuts really to think about. But I think there's plenty of people in the UK that could do that as well. But unless you really love it and really have that desire to, to go out and do it, I think it's, it's so tough to do it, isn't it? It is. And you cannot do any professional sport just for the money. You're not good enough at it if you do it for the money, even if it's a supposedly easy sport. The, your passion has to be a burning fire for it. It, it cannot be just a little spark in the dark. It has to be a burning fire of passion for the thing you do. Only then you have a chance to actually reach the top and have a long career in any sport given. Is there anyone, G, like we're, we're talking about you two being able to suffer, and I'm sure that all pro riders have the ability, but are some more vocal sufferers than others, if that <laughs> makes sense? Tommy Vockler loved to uh, pull a few faces when the camera was on him, didn't he? <laughs> and he didn't even need to do it. He's a great <laughs> bloke. He is a fantastic bike rider. He never needed to put on the show. I know, he, he did pull on uh, faces um, when, he, when the camera was there, yeah. And he yeah. never needed to do it. He was a great champion. For sure, for sure. And uh, trying to think of somebody else. I think there's a few guys that are always on the bus. There's always a whinger. Stan, I'd love the whinge. But then you <laughs> get on the bike and he'd just like run himself into the ground. So it was a weird sort of, you'd think if you were just on the bus listening to him, you'd think, oh, this guy, he's, gonna, he's not even going to finish the day. And then he's like just going over 10K climbs on the front, you know? So yeah, um, it's a funny one. Some people just, Richie Port's another one. He likes a bit of a whinge, but then goes out there and just smashes it. So it's just different personalities as well, as well, I guess. Here's a little nugget for you guys. We had uh, one like a, a super tough stage in the Italia, right? Rain and hilly up and down, no control, just full gas, you know, Peloton explodes in bits and pieces. So we all come to the team bus and just laying there more dead than alive, you know, just trying to catch our, our, our breath. Fabian Cancellara, you know, winning Roubaix, one of the hardest cyclists, you would think, has a shower and the bus comes out yelling at the driver, Danny, you need to wash the towels with softener. They scratch my skin. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only problem. We were happy that we survived the stage within the time limit. You know, it was cold and, and, and rainy and it was up and down and just uh, chaos. And he complains that the towels are not, uh, not soft enough. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a luxury problem to have, isn't it? <laughs> I wish you told us that story before we had Fabian on the pod. That would have been gold, Tom. That would have been good, indeed. <laughs> so when you have your director sportive, your sport director in your ear, and I'm sure they think they're encouraging you, let's say you're having a really tough day and your DS is in your ear and they're shouting at you and encouraging you and urging you on, does it always help or are there times where you just want to tell them to do one? I would say I would uh, before go listen lie positively to me but don't go over the top right <laughs> at maybe 10 15 20 percent but don't tell me i'm leaving by five minutes when i can you know hear the cars behind me already right um but encourage me um but uh, um to be perfectly honest i had him quite often 
with a doubtful tone in their voice. <laughs> like, oh, uh, Jens, uh, that's very long still to go. And I'm like, yeah, that's the reason why I'm doing it. Because it's still long. If I attack with five miles to go, everybody was, would expect me to attack. So I got to go 30 miles up. And you go, ah, no, that's stupid. We're not going to chase them, right? So I also had the other part where we went, ooh, ah, ooh, Jens. Basically, like between the lines telling me, Jens, I think this is stupid. But of course, he didn't really <laughs> dare to tell me. So, he, oh, that's a long way, Jens. Are you sure about this? I'm like, yes, 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 I am, I am. <laughs> yeah the worst bit when they're talking is when you're suffering on a climb and they're just talking like you know they're giving you information but it's like stuff you don't really need to know at that moment like you just breathe you know you're, you're full gas like holding this wheel there's been a few times when riders i don't think i've ever done it but a rider's just gone so and so shut up a bit more fruity <laughs> language as well sometimes <laughs> but yeah when you're just hearing someone just chatting in your ear and everyone is full gas and there's attacks and you're just like I just need to just race now and just forget about what you're saying, mate. And uh, that's the worst bit. Luckily, I haven't come across that too many times. But uh, yeah. The teammates help you, G. If you're having a really bad day and you're struggling, do your teammates, they're not just for a wheel to sit on, but can they help you mentally as well? Can they say the right things in those difficult moments? Yeah, sometimes. But also sometimes they can just have a because you get wrapped up in such a negative sort of bad world when you're suffering so much sometimes and you see someone, one of your teammates, you're like, oh my God, he's still here, not even suffering that bad and I'm in a hole and I, I'm supposed to be the leader here. Like you, your mind can just play tricks on you like that sometimes. But yeah, mo most of the time, yeah, for sure, it helps like when you're all suffering and you're all in it together, like a team time trial, for instance. Obviously, some people feel better than others, but obviously the idea is that everyone gets to the finish line with zero left in the tank and coming into those last few Ks, you're all suffering it. You're all in it together. And just, yeah, the odd sort of shout, the odd sort of like if someone, or if you're riding on the front, for instance, all day and someone's like, oh mate, like unbelievable job here. Like just keep going. Or so many of the DS is saying, oh, loads of guys going out the back here, you know, all this type of stuff then. Yeah, they can have a big, big help. For for instance, this year in the tour, obviously I, it all went to pot on stage eight and we were going to Von 2. I can't remember what stage it was, 11, 12, something like that. And uh, I was riding with Luke and Luke all of a sudden just went, oh, I need to just sit up for a bit. He ended up getting dropped and out of the time limit and, and, and went home. So he was he was on a really bad day, but... And I was just suffering and I was just riding into a headwind actually, similar, not as bad as Jens in California. But And this the first time we went up Von 2 is just this little draggy sort of 4 or 5% into this little headwind. Oh man, and I was just swinging and I was just like, right, I've got to get to the, the chalet, which is sort of, what is it? 5K from the top, something like that? Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just feeling bad in my head. I was like, wow. I'm so bad, like blah, blah, blah. You know, just that devil, that little devil on your shoulder. But then a few of the boys every now and again, Richie or someone would be like, oh, F and LG, you, you fly in here. Like, good job, mate. Like, And just little things like that, 100%, they, they help, yeah. It does really, like, because just like you said, uh, Garen, like sometimes you poison your own mind. Oh, I'm so terrible. And yeah. the other ones, he looks so good, you know. And then if there's a teammate that goes, hey, man, you're looking good you know stop doubting yourself go for it you know it does help and sometimes the sheer presence of a teammate 
does help. You know, it's such relief. Like, oh, look, I'm not alone in this and I still have somebody to rely on and somebody with me. So, yeah, you might be able once or twice to win a race by yourself, but normally you would need a team and some teammates to help you if you actually really want to win something. So, yeah, the, you cannot underestimate the, the power they have or the influence they have. And I must say, apart from the super fitness as a pro athlete, the only other thing I miss is the camaraderie between the boys in my retirement. These are the two things, the super fitness and the camaraderie with the boys. That's the ones I miss after I retired. Yeah, you certainly had that, Jens, because I remember the first time I um, saw anything of you was a CSC documentary. I don't know what year it was, but I was like, I was a junior maybe, or I was young. And I just remember watching that and just being like, wow, like this, that's when I was like, I want to do that job. But seeing seeing you and the team there, you talk about missing the camaraderie. That was, there was some group you had there, wasn't it? And like when it comes, that makes the suffering easier, to be fair. When you've got that bond with everyone, you're doing it for each other. And um, I don't like to compare it to like, you know, go into battle and war and stuff because it's not life and death, is it? But it is that sort of like real band of brothers sort of spirit. And that helps the suffering as well. It does. And I remember um, one of these winter training camps, um, you know how they always swap an experienced pro for five years, for five hours to be the team leader and then a neo pro. And you know, you're 21 years old and you tell Cancellara to get firewood at 2 a.m. <laughs> you know, that takes guts to go, hey, Cancellara, you get the firewood, right? So it's somewhere in this stupid Danish forest in, at night. <laughs> It's Cancellara and me on fire watch, right? So we wouldn't burn down the forest and we wouldn't kill the fire. So we just sit there. Nobody's awake, just him and me. And then Fabian Cancellara goes, Jensi, come here. He opened his pocket and he got this last chocolate bar he had hidden out. And he shared it with me, right? He could have, have had it all by himself without telling me, but he did share it with me. And ever since, I was ready to turn myself inside out for Cancellara on the bike. Whenever he needed me, Jensi, can you pull? Uh, yes, I can do it one more time for you. That sometimes, I believe, made the difference of giving up or going, I go one more time for him because I remember he did share at 3 a.m. in the stupid <laughs> cold night in Denmark. He shared his last chocolate bar with me. He's a real <laughs> friend. He's, you know, he's a good leader. So sometimes, yes, I believe that does make the difference because don't uh, don't let ourselves be fooled everybody trains hard everybody has good bikes everybody has aero jerseys so the differences are very very small and this this you know team spirit might be one of the differences that's what i'm going to do tom i'm going to go buy a multi-pack of dairy milk and take that to team camp in december now dish that out every night <laughs> <laughs> do you think jens that you can accurately remember the feeling of pain because there's a theory about childbirth you know you, this is maybe a question i should ask your wife actually bearing in mind that you've had six children but there's a theory isn't there that you can't accurately remember the pain of childbirth otherwise you'd never go back to the well and do it again do you think it's like that as a rider as well um yeah i think you uh, every every body's or every human brain has the ability to cover that go erase and rewind Right. Um, and once you mentioned uh, the pain to, to give birth, I remember my wife, like, you know, after giving birth for the first one, like, like 10, 15 minutes later, she went, oh, I think maybe we buy a dog next and we wait for a while. <laughs> Already the next morning she went, oh, I can't wait to have a little zippling for that one. 
So yes, I believe we all have this ability to our own, for our own protection that we erase and rewind the pain. I also think if you have a super hard training day or a race, maybe not in bad weather, but just normal, like good weather, you have a super hard day. You go through it, have a shower, and you feel like a brand new human being. You feel like you squeezed and sweated all the bad toxics out of your body. You feel rejuvenated, uh, uh, like completely redone, like every cell of your body has regenerated. And it's an incredible feeling, but you only have it when you go super, super, super deep. So maybe like three times a year where you really feel like my body just reached another level in like on the way to perfection. Right. And to go a little bit philosophical here, pain is good because as long as you feel pain, you're still alive. Right. And pain means you squeeze out bad things and your body gets a little step better, closer to perfection if you don't feel pain anymore what's the point in keep on living if you don't feel pain if you don't get better anymore so pain is good it shows you your body still works to increase and to get better just maybe once a month though instead of every day <laughs> <laughs> that's true also <laughs> i wonder if you two are going to have like mentally and physically you're going to be conditioned to almost seeing pain as, as a reward you know the whole Pavlovian dog response, ringing a bell and the dogs come running. I'm slightly worried about pro cyclists in retirement that you're going to you're going to seek out pain to get that high ends that you've just described. I believe uh, yes, with a lot of um, pro athletes of any sport, I would think, but also in cycling, um, it still uh, sticks there. And then again, you know, um, I had a few challenges to um, raise some donations for charity. So once I did the Everest challenge. That is, you pick any given mountain and you go up and down as many times as you need to reach the altitude of the Mount Everest, which is, let's say, roughly 9,000 meters of climbing. And I want to do it at home so the kids could come and see me what daddy does. So it was only 100 meters every single time I went up that little hill. So I went up there 100 times and it took me 26 hours. I ended up 410 kilometers. Wow. And so I guess then I still must my, my, might like uh, the suffering or the, the other challenge I tried was running seven marathons in seven days. I only managed four. I hate I hate it. Be, <laughs> totally. I got a I got a little infection in my left uh, leg. Some whatever bacteria it was all purple and orange and twice the size. My wife thought they're gonna cut it off. They uh, put me on massive antibiotics. Um, but yeah, about two weeks, uh, I couldn't really walk. Oof. Yeah, you're allowed to stop then, I think. Uh, yes, right? Correct. <laughs> I thought so. But I still hate yeah. it that I miss three of them. So my next challenge I had in mind before that stupid COVID thing happened, I had the plan of riding 2,000 kilometers in seven days in seven countries. So the plan was to start in Norway to Sweden then to Denmark, and then um, Holland, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Germany as the last ride back home. So you're doing, what? my maths is terrible. How many kilometers is, is this a day? Uh, it's about 280 a day. G, you up for that? Yeah, why not? Maybe when I'm coming, to, when I'm just about finished. And I still keep looking at that damn lens and to, what is it called? St. Gross or whatever up in Scotland? Oh, Land's End to John O'Groats. 
John O'Groats, yeah, I still keep looking at it. But then I tell myself, <laughs> be reasonable. You just turned 50. You don't need it. According to my wife, I have a midlife crisis since 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the impression, G, that Jens would be an amazing teammate to have. Like if you were having a bad day on a grand tour and you're a bit tired and you're missing home and you were, you didn't feel you could carry on, I would think I would come and have breakfast uh, with Jens. Yeah, 100%. I think I got asked that question before and I think, um, I think I did say Jens. Just because, well, as you've seen now in just this one hour, unbelievable guy, isn't he? He's always just, he has some stories. And I could just imagine when he gets into a stage race, when he's just, where everyone's tired, he's the one, a bit like Wow Powell's is as well, you know, always just upbeat and giving some like stupid jokes that aren't even really funny, but, you know, it's just funny because he's telling them. And, uh, oh yeah, just a great guy to have around, yeah. It was not too far, actually, Uh, that it might have happened that I uh, j have almost joined you guys because uh, back in the days we were with Team uh, Leopard 2011 yeah. and the year after quite surprisingly on short notice we would merge with Lance Armstrong's former team and Johan Brunel would become my team boss so I'm like ooh oof, is, is there if there's any chance to go somewhere else but we talk in September you know most contracts are done budgets are full so actually, I did talk to Greenage and I did talk uh, to to Sky, um, but it took too long to talk. And I figured, you know what? I'm forty one year. I'm forty one years old already. If they offer me a contract, I still have six kids at home to feed, so I might just sign here. You know. Yeah. Um, but That's it was a shame. close. I, been, I I talked. Yeah, I talked to Fromey. I talked to Fromey about it. He said, "Oh, that would be awesome if you could come and join us." But just it took too long. And then uh, I said, "You know what? It's October now. Nobody waits for a forty-year-old, um, you know, German pro anymore." Um, so I I just signed. I said, "Look, just stay safe and you know be able to feed the family." So yeah, still have a little bit mixed feelings about that. But um, well, was it your last season when twenty fourteen? Was that your last year? Uh, yes, 2014 was my last year, yeah. Because mm -hmm. you were still searching for the pain then even. I remember the tour in Yorkshire yeah. when you were just out the front all day getting those King of the Mountains points and just like like you were 20 still. And just in, like we're saying about pain, just absolutely loving, just dishing it out. Obviously it helps when you're leading the Tour de France and those crowds, but yeah, you could just tell you just like Duracell Bunny plus plus. I was actually out there and thinking, I feel like half of Great Britain is on the side of the road and the mm -hmm. other half is watching it on TV. Like the country must be standing still. It was fantastic. And I remember even Christian Prudhomme, the director of the Tour de France, said, respect, I don't think I have ever seen crowds like that in my entire career. It you was fantastic. You couldn't stop for a wee anywhere, could you, without weeing on someone's foot? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Shall we finish, G, with a couple of tips for our fellow GTCC members? Jens, if uh, listeners find themselves on a long bike ride or in a race, might be on Zwift, wherever they do their racing, and they're really starting to hurt, what advice would you have for them? Well, the easiest one is you think about your glory days, right? When it gets hard, you go, oh, remember how I won that race or how I did overcome that mountain or I finished that Grand Fondo. Positive motivation, okay? Sometimes then you try to take your mind off and think about your favorite song, your favorite movie. Or you try to cut down that overwhelming challenge into smaller, manageable pieces. You tell yourself, okay, 
I can do this until that little hill up there. Then once you're on that hill, you go, I can do it until I see that little village over there or until that big tree on the right side of the road. And little by little, you get closer to the finish. You go, oh, I made it. I'm almost there, right? And if nothing of that works, you make yourself incredibly mad and angry. You cannot do it very <laughs> often because negative energy is very strong, but it does eat your soul. So you can only save it. You only have to save it for special moments. You make yourself angry at the world, at your opponent, at everyone. And that gives you an immense boost of energy. But don't do it too often. Yeah, 100% agree. That My main one was going to be make it into bite-sized chunks. Don't see it as 10 miles to go. Go to the next post box, lamppost, top of the hill, whatever. Um, another thing that Yenzi mentioned, music. If you have got music... Just get some, for me, always a bit of aggressive sort of hip hop always helps or, you know, any bit of Metallica, anything, you know, just gets you going. <laughs> Thumbs up from Yenzi there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, also just think of the, well, it's hard at the time, but think I get through this. Think of the story I've got to tell you, like this amount of suffering, never done this before. I'm going to find a new limit here. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really like, milk this story and tell the boys down the pub tomorrow or whatever you know and yeah just just dig in and just don't give up because that feeling as we've already said when you stop the sense of satisfaction lasts maybe 10 seconds and then you're like oh i wish i was still there i could have done that so um bite the bullet sometimes get through it and then as yenzi also said you just reach new levels you know you're constantly improving you know and pain comes and goes glory stays forever <laughs> there we go nice nice gee it almost feels like we should have Jens as one of our road captains on the GTCC that so Jens we have road captains they look after a particular area of the world and they represent the GTCC there maybe you could uh, look after Berlin for us there's no real big pressure you just gotta promote the club get people to join yeah maybe that's good we go can for do the that. Odd ride wear the jersey with pride we'll send you a jersey Jens they're very nice that's a good plan yeah that's a good plan, my friends. Quality is in, Tom. <laughs> well, Jens, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great, G. Um, you have enjoyed this one as well, I imagine, despite the fact that you've had to think about your worst ever day on the bike. <laughs> yeah, no, quality, always always good to chat to Jens. I haven't chatted for ages, but good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Quality, quality as ever. Thanks for having me, my friends. It was great also to catch up with you, G. And yeah, I'm honoured that I have been part of this. Right, Tom, it's time for any other business. And I think first order of the day is to announce a new sponsor. So I should probably say congratulations to you on all your hard work. Who is it? Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you, G. Um, I think I've pulled for blinder here. I think you'll love this. I've only gone and got a bike insurance company on board. So welcome to the GTCC, Lacquer Insurance. Oh, well, well, well. Isn't that good timing, eh? Nothing to do with me and my stolen bike recently is it yeah it got me thinking our members might have experienced the same as you did and we need to look out for them as well don't we so the sort of thing we do on this podcast so make sure you listen out next week when we will tell you all about just how great lacquer are and there may even be a very special offer right tom have we had any more applications for road captains then 
Oh, have we ever, G? Uh, the first one we are going for is another road captain for Renfrewshire, this time Adam Wilkie. So you'll remember we also appointed Murray Gray for this region, um, but he can now work with Adam as the junior rep for Renfrewshire. Remember, to be an official GTCC rep, you need to be over 18 years of age. But of course, there is always a place for junior reps too. From Jersey, Neil Gray. For Trondheim in Norway, it is Stian Nutsfjord. Good job, Tom. I didn't, I'm glad I didn't have to read that one out. Uh, from Melbourne, Jeremy Kay. You say that, but you said Melbourne in the strangest way ever. Uh, from Dorset, it's Luke Matchin. <laughs> uh, and finally, it's December. So I know we're all thinking about Christmas shopping. So why not go and check out the GTCC store and find someone a gift on there? We've got hoodies, water bottles, and T-shirts. In fact, Tom still hasn't taken his hoodie off since he got it, have you? Oh, it's so warm. Honestly, I love it. If you fancy one, just go to gtccstore.com to snap something up in time for Christmas. And then finally, if you want another podcast to listen to this week, why not check out The Joe Marler Show? There is a whole year of episodes for you to go and dive into. It's England rugby player Joe chatting to anyone except rugby players really marine biologists cheesemakers forensic pathologists and clowns he's asking all the weird and wonderful questions so you don't have to just search for the joe marler show now cheers mate see you next week see you then that was the Geraint thomas cycling club Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Head of Music Emma Hickman, Head of Social Fionn Clark and our Honorary President Mike Carr. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.